Clubhouse bonus episode, Leadership Isn't for Cowards. Hey, Elite Educators, it's Gretchen here from Always a Lesson. I'm popping in here with a super exciting bonus episode. I have been leading chats on the Clubhouse app, which is an audio conversation platform for months now. I created the Instructional Coaching Club on Clubhouse, and I lead those chats Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, so I sure hope you join us. But if not, drum roll please, you can catch the replay right here. How cool is that? This is a new feature Clubhouse has rolled out, so the past chats we've held are not recorded. It's such a bummer. However, going forward, I will be sharing the replay with you here. Even more professional support for you on your edu leadership journey. So let's dive into the convo. Hey, ladies. Hi. How is everybody? Doing well. How are you? Good. I'm excited to get back into these chats because, you know, we took the summer off. And so I'm excited to get back in the swing of things. And obviously, I I cannot wait to talk about this book. So I'm glad you guys have loved it, too. And we're like, yeah, let's just do this thing together. Hey, Marilyn, I hope you're doing good. And welcome, Deborah. So what I thought we would do to start is just quickly introduce um, ourselves. And when you do that, share what is your role and why you wanted to read the book. And those of you listening to the replay, we are going to be talking tonight about Leadership Isn't for Cowards. And it's written by Mike Staver. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And um, it's just been fantastic takeaways. And we're going to talk about it tonight. So you don't have to have read the book to participate. Those of you listening to the replay, you are still going to get lots of nuggets from it. So with that said, Courtney, why don't you start, just share your role and then why you were interested in reading this book. All right. Thanks. So my name is Courtney and I wear a couple of hats like so many of us in the field of education. Um, I work for a district at a coordinator level and then also work for a local university teaching in an alternative licensure program for special education. I was really excited to dive into this book because as we come back into the new year, feeling like I need to just round out some of my leadership qualities and strengths and really got into the practical application of the book. Hey, Gretchen. Hey, Courtney. This is Casey Watts. I am um, a, an instructional coach in East Texas at the district level. I work on two campuses. So that is my day job, as I say, and I have a side hustle as um, a impact coaching consultant. And I, man, I will be honest, I'm just kind of a bookaholic and a book nerd. And so when I see books at all related to leadership or marketing, I just feel like I'm all in. I know that Courtney posted not too long ago, uh, a post on Instagram, like saying, you buy the book, you don't read all of it, and then you buy another book and it just keeps going and going and going. And that's how I feel like I am. But what really stood out for me for this book uh, was the subtitle, How to Drive Performance by Challenging People and confronting problems, because I know that we all tend to um, struggle a little bit more when it comes to the problems that show up in our uh, work as leaders. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. In fact, there is a little blurb that's on the back of the book. And I wanted to read it to y'all because I think it really helps us understand why is this helpful in our role, no matter what leadership capacity we have or what title we have. This is applicable to anyone who's interested and growing their leadership skills. And uh, if you do have the book, it's the second quote on the back by Pam O'Connor. And they say, this book will get you out of the weeds and cause you to step back and look at the big picture of your leadership style. It will increase your self-awareness of how others are truly reacting to your behavior. Most importantly, it will provide you with an action plan to make a difference in others' lives and build powerful loyalty that results in positive business outcomes and lasting relationships. Obviously, our business is education and helping folks learn um, and relationship building is a huge part of how we build momentum, how we create change, how we um, really develop the culture in a school. And so to hear um, some stories throughout the book and different strategies for you to be aware of of how your own energy and how you're being perceived and um, how you kind of set off the dominoes to, to you know create action is really powerful. And in fact, I took time, not only was I reading and highlighting and, and stuff, and I know Courtney and Casey, I saw your books too, just like mine, all marked up, but I did have to stop and kind of create my game plan. I had to get out paper that's how I think, that's how I process, because a lot of what we do as readers is we just consume, but this book really pushes you to say, and now what? And in fact, that is the last chapter, is, is helping you decide, what am I going to do with all of this information? And so he kicks off the book talking about leaders you mess with people's lives. And when I first read that, I was taken aback, like, dang, that is very harsh. So Courtney and Casey, when you were reading that first section, did you have that same reaction that I did? Go ahead, Courtney, <laughs> jump on in there. I was going to say yes. And I would say, it, and I'm trying to look for it later in the book, he brings it up again. And so when I first read it, Early on in the book, I felt that pull and that tug, but it was like a gut punch later on in the book after I had had the opportunity to really dig in and kind of like what you said, Gretchen, pull out the paper, spend time in each of these chapters and kind of the calls to action that he had. And then later on, when I read it again, it was it was so powerful to think of our actions as leaders, the influence we have both positively or potentially negatively on people. And that was the moment that it really sunk in for me. Man, oh my gosh, you basically took the words out of my mouth because I, I literally, I underlined in that chapter, how you influence others is the most important. And then it continues on talking about, you know, you are influencing others in one way or another, it's happening. Um, and then there's another piece where I just underlined this phrase and I'm gonna read this real quick. His trouble was as much about his awareness as it was about his actual behavior. Behavior. So for me, um, I feel like I'm, I am, very self-reflective naturally. It comes fairly easily to me, especially as I get older and especially the longer I am in a leadership role. But 
how aware am I of how I'm affecting others' lives, especially as I tackle my own vision and tackle what I want to cast for others, you know? So I think a lot of it is uh, taking a step back and thinking retrospectively about how you are influencing others. Is it positively? Is it negatively? And how are you messing with people's lives? I just love that phrase. Yeah, it forces you to be intentional with your decision making and how am I going to show up today and how is that going to affect somebody else? Because a quick interaction can throw someone's day off. And when you are rerouting folks to different roles or different tasks, or you have to announce we're having a, a new curriculum or something else is changing, all of that messes with the safety and the routine that they already have established. And when we start recognizing uh, that our decisions affect people, then we are much, uh, much more cautious to say, do I need to make this decision now? Do I need to make it in this way? Is this going to have the greatest impact with the least amount of resistance um, or negative impact? And I never really thought about it in that way of, wow, you are really affecting people. Uh, and, and immediately I was thinking like layoffs, like, oh my gosh, that affects their livelihood. And and not that we're, our role does that, but I'm thinking just in our interactions, are we allowing that person to go out and be their best for their family or their colleagues or the students that they're impacting? And so the way we use our words and the way we try and coach and help and grow folks is really important. And um, this is going to stick with me. You know, we we are truly messing with people's lives. I want to stop and say, Hey, Inga, I hope you're doing so good. And Christina, I love that you're always in our chats. Thanks for coming. So the bulk of his book, um, he has sections and there is this acronym called attack. And if I think Courtney, did you share this? I think it was you. Um, yeah. Yeah. So would you walk us through kind of the premise of attack and then we can dive in more in depth. But I think the bulk of the book is really focused on taking that apart and thinking about how does this apply to us? Absolutely. I loved that he had come up with the acronym and I kept going back trying to figure out if he went to really deep into it as opposed to just giving us something that would help us with that recall, making something that was meaningful so that we walk away and we have that memory. Um, the attack for me really came down to the courageous leadership and, and how we intentionally go into the leadership that we take on. So the attack acronym that he uses, the A is for accept your circumstances. T is for take action. The second T is for take responsibility. A for acknowledge progress. C for commit to new habits and K for Kindle. And I love the format of the book that he uses because each of those is not necessarily a singular chapter, but he really takes time to dig into each of the letters and help us to ground ourselves in that, not just for who we are as leaders, what it means for maybe our perspective here, at least mine, is the teachers that I am in service to, but then also the students and their families that make up the community of learners. 
great recap. Casey, I'm going to put it to you before I continue on. What would you like to add so far? Okay. So I'm going to be honest and I love for our listeners to hear this, but I've only gotten through a small section of the book. Um, but what I've read so far is extremely powerful and it's going to be one of those books that's worth a read again. But in thinking about attack, because I have gotten through this section, the very first bullet, I guess you could say, or piece of that acronym is accept your circumstances. And if I could just share a little bit about how this relates to my story right now, um, I'm, I'm working with an assistant principal to go through a coaching cycle and it's all, we're really thinking about our circumstance right now. And we are both part of a district where we feel like we have different values than the people that we are leading and it makes it really challenging. And so when I was reading through accept your circumstances, there's a first piece that says, how great is denial? And I truly think we're kind of, we've been in this state of denial together for a little bit. And it's nice to have someone in that with you um, because we're pushing each other to move past that and to use this denial to accept our circumstance, but then to push through and try to figure out how are we going to align our values so that we're supporting the people that we're working with. And that's where that very beginning, like you're affecting people's lives, you're messing with people's lives. Are we so much focused on our own values that we are um, affecting them negatively? Or are we trying to figure out what is it that they value and how can we multiply that um, in them and, and bring them to a place that better aligns with our values. So I am like so excited to keep reading through this because I think it's going to challenge us and be a big part of our coaching cycle. That's what I was hoping we would do is that we not just talk about what the book's about and our reactions, but really how is it impacting our work? So Courtney, I'll pop to you really quickly. So I, I would say kind of the same thing. There's so much right now that is going on and the accept your circumstances really hit home. There was one part that they're talking about, um, like evaluating your team, what's the best use of each person's energy. And this year, as I am coming into the beginning of the year, we're unfortunately coming off a time where there's been some negativity in some of the leadership that's surrounding, and that's been hard to kind of sit in. And within the book, what really stuck out to me was that we we could focus on some areas of weakness and we coach around that, but not to bring our bias. And as I think about some of the teachers that I'm currently working alongside, looking at their strengths, Andy Stanley has a podcast and I had been listening to it the other day and he was talking about really focusing on weaknesses versus strengths. And he made a comment about how I can be a better leader by growing those strengths as opposed to taking our weaknesses and making them mediocre. So as I read through this accept your circumstances part, I just kept coming back to what bias am I bringing? 
maybe some frustration, maybe some things that surfaced last year. And then that weight of me as a leader and my words to this individual, changing my perspective, thinking about my values, my integrity, and focusing on their strengths and how we can tap into that as we move into our upcoming coaching cycles. Yeah, it's really helpful. For me, that accept your circumstances was another section of the book where I felt a gut punch because one of the chapters talks about what are you pretending not to know? I'm like, oh, dang, like he's coming for me. First, he's telling me I'm messing with people's lives and now I feel horrible. And then he's telling me, hey, you are avoiding something. And, you know, we all kind of do that. If if there's an uncomfortable conversation we don't want to have, we, we push it off. Or if there's a challenge in our school and we feel like we're not ready or capable of bringing the solution, then we avoid the conversation, keep it to ourselves, and then we're complaining constantly about why things don't change. And I was thinking about how many times did I feel I was not in the position to share my idea because I wanted to be invited to the conversation or in my head, I didn't think I was qualified enough or I feared someone saying that's a horrible idea. But even if my idea that was shared wasn't utilized or put into action, that might spark a conversation for other ideas to be built upon. So I encourage you if if you're someone who has a solution in mind, and you feel like you're not well uh, ready to share it, stop thinking about my solution is the answer. Maybe my solution is the conversation starter that everyone will now start being more aware of the issue, start game planning, what are potential options, and it'll get everything moving in the right direction. And I think that takes the pressure off and it takes the focus off you and you're much more willing to say, hey, like, I don't mind just bringing it up and seeing where it could go. And um, so I, I challenge us all this year to stop waiting. There are things within your control that we can change and that we can really make our schools a better place for kids and the staff that work there. But we have to stop pretending that we don't know, meaning there are things within our control that we are either giving to other people, or we're avoiding, um, or we're not listening to that little stir in our heart that there is work to do. And we might not have all the answers, but we, if we have a willingness to get the conversation started, that's all that really matters. Courtney or Casey, any comments? Yeah, I was just going to say this book makes me realize, or I guess just um, clarifies how much of a fine line there always is in leadership. So there's always that fine line between, you know, I, I want to be courageous, but you, and you want to serve and lead others. But at the same time, there's the flip side of that coin where you naturally have that instinct to want people to like you, you know, so, uh, or you naturally have that instinct, like you said, to lean into the imposter syndrome. Um, so, and there's so much in just the first section of this book that shows what a fine line we, we live in leadership, but 
I love that Mike Staver gives like suggestions for how to approach that fine line. And I would just say too, there was so much in this book about um, kind of to your point, Gretchen, of holding back a little bit and that that's the courageous side of our leadership. Um, so many just nuggets of quotes that I carried with me as I went into meetings about really looking at the here and now and being present, following that gut, um, that that's the courageous leadership that the people around me need. And when it comes to the bias that we might bring and having, for me at least, I sometimes I'll sit there and kind of like Casey said around that um, the imposter syndrome and not wanting to maybe speak up and, and knowing that there's a narrative that's out there and that my story, my perspective, my experiences are part of that narrative when it comes to leadership. And then when we don't have that well-rounded narrative, we don't have the full picture. We can't make good, solid decisions if there's missing parts. Yes, absolutely. Well said. I want to add, and I don't think I've said this yet, each chapter ends with not just like questions, but he basically outlines your next steps. He tells you what to go do. So if you're someone that likes to just quickly read a book and be done, this is probably not the book for you because the whole point is to take in a little bit, reflect on it and go make a change. And then when you're ready, you come back for the next thing. And that's the acronym pushes you through kind of different levels uh, when your le leadership's ready. So you can't just employ, you know, the K in attack before you've done the A, the groundwork won't be there. And even they have QR codes at the bottom of every chapter for a download for a worksheet, which is really good because I'm kind of, I like to write things out and focus. So I encourage you if this book is sounding really interesting and something that I mean, a lot of us don't have a ton of time. So it's great that it's like, just read one chapter and take the time to process it before you take action. It's really good. And I think that's where we're going to start to see a shift in our schools when we truly take the time to read a book the way it's meant to be and not just fly through it and say, oh, that was really interesting. Cool. Put it back on the shelf. Gretchen, I would just add the questions at the end were really great for kind of kicking off my next steps, but man, he dropped so many reflective questions, even within these short chapters, some of them only two, three pages that really just stopped me in my tracks and made me pause there before I could even get to the end because I had to reflect on who I am as a leader, who I am right now in my circumstances. Yeah, and each chapter is, uh, like the chapter title is posed as a question. So from the get-go, you're already reflecting on, okay, like chapter 10 is, are you good at analyzing? Um, where is your focus? So you're already beginning to prepare yourself for what's ahead in the chapter and reflecting on uh, where you are as a leader in regard to that topic. And I think it's so funny, like the acronym attack, we, when we think about the word attack, it seems so abrasive, but if you think about it through the lens of courage, I think it takes on a totally different perspective. 
I didn't think about that. You're right. It is kind of a forceful word, but when, after you've read it, you kind of get where he's going and it gives you the muscle behind all your ideas to just go out and do the work and to be courageous enough to do it. And you know, that the whole point of the book leadership isn't for cowards is because we all got into these positions because yeah, we have this talent and yes, we're smart enough and capable enough, but it's because we have some guts. We're willing to stand up for what we believe in, or we're willing to jump in. And, uh, with that comes some backlash sometimes and being a leader, especially as you grow in your role and there might only be one of you on a campus or um, a few of you in the district, it gets lonelier and lonelier at the top. And you just can't be a coward and sit back and expect to make true change. Um, so I love his theory uh, and his approach to the book, but yes, it does come with a one, two punch. <laughs> Dean, welcome to the chat. We are just talking through this book, Leadership Isn't for Cowards, and you don't have to have read it. But um, I think just listening to the takeaways, you'll get you know a handful of ideas of what you can do back at your campus. So I want to move us forward to taking action after accepting your circumstances was just a reality check. Like, what is the level of the folks around you in terms of their capabilities, their willingness, how much effort they're putting in? How much of those things are you doing? Are you willing to do? And just really get a lay of the land because before you can go do the work, we, you know, got to take the blindfold off and really say, what's the deal here? What's the reality? Let me look at the ugliness. Let me look at the great bright spots. And, and then, then I can create an actual formula or game plan that will work. I'm not just saying these issues don't exist and I'm not just over here, like everything's great. Uh, no, we can all improve ourselves and we can improve the environment. So taking action is, is forcing you to, are you ready to do it? Um, are you present enough to enact what your game plan is and then be receptive to how it lands? Cause we can't just go out there with our agenda. We have to wait for it to land, see how folks react to it. How do we need to adjust? And that requires you to put technology down and put your schedule down for a second and just be present as you're, as you're doing it, or you're really going to miss the little moments that need to be tweaked. And you're going to be so focused on your agenda and on step 10 that we got to start all over again. So it's, it's more about taking action in a premeditated way and a slow, steady way. Um, and he even gets you to really reflect on your own experiences where change has happened to you or uh, your own leaders who have really affected you positively or negatively and how hesitation could be a bad thing. So it's, it's not that doing something slowly and intentionally is the same as hesitating, but don't miss the opportunities when it comes we just got a strike. So I'll stop there for a second, Courtney or Casey. I think a big part for me as I read through this was also teasing out some of the differences between the internal action and the external action. Kind of your, to some of what you said, Gretchen, um, it, it wasn't just about sitting back. It was about that action, not waiting, but like you said, it's taking everything in. And so for me, I really started to 
live in that space and give time to it before I moved on around as a leader, how do we decide when to create that internal action versus that external action? When I am supporting teams, how much of it is I need to do some things within myself as related to vision work, strategy, and when is the time for me to then model that and move forward and not getting stuck in the space of uncertainty because that's when I, I slow down. And I find sometimes I go too quick. I tend to be one that takes action fast. So for me, that chapter really was pausing and thinking, okay, where is the internal action? What am I doing there to make sure that the action that I am taking is intentional? And going back to what we've said before, it's power and I'm impacting and influencing people and for good or bad, I need to pause long enough to have that internal component and then move forward. Man, that is so great, Courtney. And I couldn't agree more. And it, it makes me think about like how to utilize this book on a day-to-day -day basis, because like this book has stayed in, I carry a backpack with me every day, everywhere I go, and I'm traveling all over campuses um, and within the district, but this book stays in my backpack and really any book that I'm reading. But this is one of those that I think could be one that you hold on to. And when you finish a meeting, before you go to a meeting or before you meet with someone or before you're engaging in something that it, you know one way or another is going to influence people, you're taking time to just peruse it and think about, okay, how am I going to prepare myself to go into this in a way that influences people positively and adds value to them? Um, and then I think it could also be one of those that you pull out after the fact, because I have a tendency to, and not all the time, but sometimes, especially um, in a district where I know that I want to make great change and it's a very slow process, it's easy for me to um, get into that state of denial that he talks about and really get down on how little change is being made just because I'm not seeing it go as fast as I would like to. Kind of like you're, what you're saying, Courtney, I would just want to get there. I want to jump in and get started. Um, but I think reflecting using some of these questions and strategies in this book really helps you to reflect on those positive influences that you're having and how you can approach it in a new or better or different way in the future. Speaking of questions, there were a few that he said that I'm like, oh man, I got to write this one down. I got to think about this for a minute. I can't keep reading. I'll just let this simmer. <laughs> let me feel this and let me think about what comes up for me and how do I feel about it? What do I want to do about it? And what's my reaction to it? Uh, so I want to share that with you now. For example, he said, what is the best use of this person's energy? And you know, right now, teachers are swamped, understaffed, and we're asking them to take on a lot right now um, with the shortages and such. And so when we think about, okay, we're rolling out a new initiative, or I need someone to be the head of this committee, is that really the best use of their energy or preparing for an overcrowded classroom because we don't have enough teachers? Is that what I need them to do right now? And I have to be the one to lead the committee or pause the committee for a month or, you know, when we're really thinking about 
how our schools operate. And we're thinking about our people are the essential people that make this thing go. And we think about, do they have the energy to do this job well? And if not, what can we do to lighten the load or change it around or pause something for a minute? And my role as a coach, I don't have a lot <laughs> of um, control over what's allowed in terms of switching off roles and such, but I do have influence. So if I'm noticing that there, I have an idea for a solution and I know someone's energy cannot uh, come through to do it in that way, then I can be the advocate. I can go and say, I've got this idea. Let me run it by you. What about if we did X, Y, Z? Uh, because we have to preserve the energy of the people around us if we want them to do the job well. Just because someone's a great teacher or... Um, a great leader among their team doesn't mean they need additional leadership opportunities. If, if they're already maxed out, maybe we give someone else the opportunity to step up. And so that question really forced me to say, okay, wow, am I being intentional with who I'm choosing to delegate something to? And are they going to be able to continue operating at a high level? And if not, can I go advocate for things to be switched around in the moment. I wanted to share um, a few others and then I'll pass it over to you, Courtney and Casey to share your reaction. But he also mentioned how might I have contributed to this problem? So when we're really dissecting and analyzing what's happening in our schools and we're thinking through, okay, what are we going to do about this? How can we create a shift? Like, did I have a part to play and why we are where we are? And that's that whole you, you can't keep avoiding the reality of the situation and hoping a different solution comes to light or that no one will notice. Like we have to get real about even the smallest thing that we might have done or said that has allowed the problem to grow or stick around. Um, and that really forced me to say, dang, what is it? Maybe every time that I choose not to speak up, I'm contributing to the problem. Or every time that I don't help cover a class in a, a need or help make a copy or do a bulletin board or um, make fun announcements to get everyone in the right mood or any time that I'm not choosing or choosing not to do something, then I am still contributing to whatever the issue is. It's not a school's issue. It's a we issue. And so that question also pushed my thinking and I'll share one more. And he was mentioning pinch points. And he said, when you get to an area where the push comes to shove and something's got to give, you have to say to yourself, how much effort is required to do whatever the change is? And is it worth it? Because how much impact will it have? And a lot of things that we're doing in schools take a lot of energy and a lot of effort. And really it doesn't have an impact at all. And you're thinking to yourself, why did we just go through all this? And that goes back to that first question of, is this the best use of our energy input and output and really being thoughtful of everything that we're doing? Is this worth it in the end? Because the amount of effort required or the amount of people required to get it done, is it going to have an impact on students achieving academically and teachers growing in their craft? And if it's not, 
we just can't do it right now. Um, so those questions stuck with me and I'll pause for a second. Courtney or Casey? I just want to add on to that last question, what you were talking about, like putting energy into certain things. In all honesty, I think instructional coaches are some of the world's worst at doing that because we we want to show our support of teachers. We want them to know that we're on their side and we pour our energy and especially new coaches getting just getting into instructional coaching have a really hard time deciphering what do I do with my time and then we end up putting it into things that um, don't have the greatest impact especially on students even though we think that that it might be having a greater impact. It, it, it actually probably isn't. But I think part of that is we're not taking time to ask those tough questions that Mike Staver challenges us to ask. Um, so one of the questions that stood out to me is in the very first chapter, I think, but it he share, talks about um, finding people you trust to give you clear, constructive truth about the positive and negative impact of your behavior. Um, it reminds me of Brene's Brown, Brene Brown's square squad method, where you take a one inch by one inch sheet of paper and you write down on that sheet of paper the names of people who you trust to give you honest, constructive feedback. Um, and that could be some of the, he, the questions that he includes could be some of the questions that you ask these people. Um, and then once you ask them, and I, one of the questions that I like to ask is not just, you know, what is it that I'm doing that's adding positively to the team? Um, and what is it that maybe is detracting from the team, but also what do you feel like I intuitively do well, which generally people are going to share things that are similar to what you believe that you do well. Um, and then he has this other question directly following that. What are some small incremental adjustments you can make to your behavior to emphasize the positive impacts? And it makes me think about how, if you were to ask people the question, what do you feel like I intuitively do well? And you think about the patterns and consistencies of the answers and you jot down those things that you do well, what are the positive impacts of that, but what also could be the negative impacts of that? So I think, for example, um, one thing that people say I do really well is think futuristically. I'm a big visionary. I'm always thinking about what's next, which is a positive thing, and I can see the positive impact of that. But on the flip side, what I have to look out for is not um, not being in the moment with people and not being fully present. So I think that I love those questions that he includes here. And I think there are lots of different ways that you can approach uh, getting down to how people experience you as a leader. Casey, I think that is so it's just such an important point that he brought up and then kind of revisited. And I loved the applicability of a part. And I'm going to read from the book a little bit where it says, when the speeches are over, the plan is shared and the vision is spoken. All that is left is your behavior. And then he goes on to say, if you're not sure what story you're modeling, ask some other people to tell you, ask your direct reports to anonymously write down four words that describe what it's like to work for you. 
when there's inconsistency between the story you tell and the story you live, credibility and trust erode quickly. And so I hear you talking about we, uh, there's things that I know that I live in and things that I think are valuable to the teachers that I support and the teachers I'm in service to. But I, I wonder for a moment, is that how they're experiencing it? What might they say? How can I take that and move forward, improve upon my own responsibility taking? Um, I think that takes a lot of vulnerability, but I've tagged that page, folded it, dog-eared it, and have come back to it so many times to think, who are the people that I'm going to go to to ask? I, I Describe four words. Anonymous, what does it look like? So that I know that the story I tell myself lives out in my behaviors and is truly in service to the teachers I support. Man, where, okay, there has to be like a, an emoji reaction on here. Is there any way, to, I guess in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess in the chat, hallelujah, or whatever you want to say, or I wish we could do confetti or uh, <laughs> yeah, any of that. But well said, you guys, I want to bring us back to, hey, Deborah, um, the attack uh, acronym, just so we keep flow of, of kind of where he's going with this. But remember, A was accept your circumstances. So you're getting real with what are you working with? The people you're working with, capacity levels, the reality of uh, materials in your building and supplies and, and all that. And then T in attack, take action. Just as we were mentioning, there are micro steps. He doesn't ask you to ever like create, redo something from start to finish and going with a bang, but it's all these micro steps you can take to your thoughts, to your behavior, to your attitude. And all of that starts the dominoes for change to take effect. And, um, and so never think that taking actions too early, that you have to have it all planned out. He wants you to just think through small things you can change and start changing them because until you start changing them, other things can't be changed. And so get started changing. And then we go to the second T in attack about taking responsibility. And I think that's where a lot of my takeaways come from in terms of, am I really stepping up to the plate enough? Um, am I always waiting to be invited to the conversation or waiting for someone to ask me for my opinion or waiting for someone to say, hey, I want to talk through this problem? Or am I taking responsibility as someone in the school building who cares for kids and is looking out for the best interest of those who are teaching them every day? Am I really saying, how can I help today? What problem can I solve? How can I hear the voices of everyone involved? Um, and I think I do a lot of waiting or pausing or like a lot of uncertainty. And that's just avoidance. And instead, just get the conversation going. Take responsibility in your role, even if you're not invited or asked or what have you, because it's going to spark a conversation or an interest, uh, awareness, and it might take a year for things to change, but you're getting the ball rolling. Um, and then we move on to A, which is acknowledge progress, which I think many of us leaders do well trying to celebrate the tiny things that are going well in our buildings. And I think after COVID, we really tried to focus on finding the bright spots, but that should just be part of how we lead is encouraging someone every step that's forward 
in the right direction, even on the hardest days. And if you feel like, gosh, that's not my personality or gosh, I'm not doing that enough, then that's the best place to start is to say, for the first hour of my day, I'm walking the halls and I'm trying to find the great things that are happening here. Because once you know what's going well, you can capitalize on it, uh, share it with more folks, get other folks on the bandwagon to create that those same positive changes in their classrooms. Um, and then we can start focusing. It doesn't always have to be like, let's focus on the obstacles. Let's focus on the challenge. Um, and so progress is sometimes the thing that we don't take notice and we don't encourage other people to take notice and celebrate. It's like, nah, I just want to wait till it's done or I've landed where I want to land. And sometimes that takes too long. We've got to acknowledge forward momentum. So Courtney, Casey, take it from there. I will say in vulnerability, I, I am not as great as I would like to be with acknowledging progress. Um, and it's not that I'm calling things out that are wrong. I just don't spend the time there. So this section of the book just really hit home for me. And as a leader, when he talks about the courageous side of leadership, what I'm realizing is, is he, he hits on it a couple different spots of when we're acknowledging others, one, we are really empowering them and we are honoring them and we are valuing them. And that is a core value and virtue of mine as a leader is that people do feel valued and honored and heard. I just don't always do it in the same way that he's talking about. But another thing that he comes back to is that when we do honor publicly the the success of the individuals that we are working alongside and working with it also helps to clarify what is success within our organization and how do i as a leader perceive that and that was a huge aha for me that i never made that connection i know i've sat there as an employee and thought i don't know what my measurement of success is. I'm not sure what's being asked of me. I'm just kind of running the day to day and really responding to the urgent as as opposed to the important. Um, and so when he hit in this section about when we honor the progress of others and the success of others, we're actually also providing clarity to the system. I love that, Courtney. That's so great. Uh, and I, I feel like I do fairly well recognizing, I, obviously, and just like you said, Courtney, I think I could do it. I could be probably much, I know we all could be much more intentional about all of these things, but here's what I am laughing about. Um, in chapter 22, he says, are you an over-recognizer? And I don't do this but I get so frustrated when I hear other leaders doing it. And he even has this subtitle gushing, like, you know, gushers, don't you? Those chronically chipper people that just love to tell other people how wonderful they are and how much they are appreciated. And I think uh, we, we can have a tendency to do that when things get really challenging and difficult and we don't want to face the hard truths and we don't want to uh, lean into that more challenging part of leadership where courage is necessary. Um, so that part really stood out to me and it kind of made me laugh a little bit because I think obviously we all can have recognized them, those moments or have been a part of that moment where people have, you know, gushed. 
I was going to say, Gretchen, that's right where I need that emoji that you were talking about earlier. Sprinkle the confetti because Casey, that is a huge point that is hitting heavy with me right now. Yeah, I think we are trying to make up for the negativity or the stress and we're like, okay, so like I was mentioning, take an hour out of your day and find the bright spots. And so they just go on and on and on and on. It's like too much, like find, find some good things and be intentional about why you're sharing them. When I'm coaching teachers and I, I want them to continue doing something, I not only tell them what, this is the one thing that you did that was great because this is the effect it had. So now they know it's not just this one action I want you to do 47,000 times, but it's what it elicited from the students or what it created in your classroom. That is why it was effective. Um, so now they can replicate it. Now other people can. And so let's avoid gushing by just saying superficial stuff like, I love it. You're doing so great. And keep going guys, or like great energy today. Like let's get really down and specific about what is going well and what about it is having an impact so that they know, okay, that's what I should replicate. That's what I should do again. And, um, gushing is, can be encouraging, but it almost comes off as, um, not truthful because it's, it's just too, too much. <laughs> it's yeah. like, Hey, take it down a notch. And, and it also, I think too, like so much of this as leaders, like you are modeling what appropriate behaviors could, could be as a courageous leader, you know, because I mean, I'm recalling an event last Thursday, I had a meeting after school and it was, we had some crucial conversations together and, um, I think it was uncomfortable. I know it was uncomfortable at some point. And I noticed that people who were participating in their discomfort tended to lean into the fake gushing. And so I so important that we recognize that and we use those opportunities to model intentionally some of the things that Mike Staver is sharing about in this book. Yeah, and I think sometimes gushing happens when you're not sure what to say. So you're just like, I'm going to say all the things. And so maybe having a focus, like when we do learning walks, we know exactly what we're looking for. Maybe it's classroom management this time or lesson design another time or student engagement another time. So when you have a focus for what am I going to find great in the building today, here is the area I'm looking for, it's much easier for you to produce an honest compliment or encouraging word because you now know what area you're looking for rather than your outfit's great and students seem really happy, you know, it's like, what does all that mean? <laughs> How is that going to have an impact? Um, right. One thing that he mentioned is reward hard work and risk-taking. And I think that's another way to call out the positives and progress is we're not at our goal yet but you're getting up to bat. You're willing to give it a try. You're willing to try something new. You're willing to mix it up. You're willing to figure it out. What does this look like for my teaching personality or for me? What does this look like my leadership personality? How does this fit the needs of my staff right now or students? And as long as we are given our best effort and we're trying new things, trying new approaches until we get it right, that needs to be the focus. That's progress. It's when you're so focused on 
did I get it right? And did I meet my goal that we get really down and depressed? And that doesn't encourage us to take action, but action is the only way we ever create change. Even if the action came up and's like, well, that wasn't it. You know, <laughs> we course correct and we get back on there. And I don't know. And the schools that I've worked in rewarded hard work and risk-taking enough. I think it was an underground kind of conversations like so-and-so's given this a whirl. Let's see how this works out. But I don't know that we really encouraged people to get off the beaten path and try something new. I don't know, Courtney and Casey, if you've had similar experiences, but I hope to focus more on that this year. I feel fortunate that I have had a school where I had an administrator that really celebrated risks and did it so well. And so because I had that opportunity, it means that the next school I was at where it maybe wasn't as prevalent, it, it really stood out to me. Um, it, it's something that I've always tried to ground myself in a little bit, but I thought that Mike Staver does a really great job in here where he talks about how you, like from a leadership perspective, want your followers to explore the edge while being latched firmly to the rock your leadership provides. And that stuck out to me so much because it's our consistency as leaders that can create that safety needed for people to take risks. It comes back to what you said. How are we celebrating it? How are we calling it out? How are we rewarding it? Yeah, there is a part of the book that I kind of giggled and thought, wow, this is really interesting. So I can't remember how the story goes. So y'all correct me. But I think he was leaving his position and the lady came in in his office and said, you know, I don't know how we're ever going to fill that chair. And that was his office chair. And he's like, that's not the chair you need to fill. And she's like, what do you mean? And he took her out to a patio where he just had a measly old chair and he said, that's the chair you need to fill. And she's looking at him like, what are you talking about? Because that is the place he went to vision cast, to brainstorm through problems, to come up with new ideas, to get creative, to get um, some ingenuity going. And he said, that's the leader you need to find someone who's willing to take the time to think outside the box. Um, so forget the chair over here where I just sit and do measly tasks. Get that, get someone in that chair, the chair that really moves the needle. And I was like, man, in my office, what would be the equivalent of that? Where do I go? And for me, it's walking uh, the neighborhood. I just need to get out and get fresh air and walk the dog, obviously. And at the same time, that's when I think, that's when I process how my day went, what I should have said or done differently, uh, what kind of energy I want to bring for the next day, what new ideas do I have, could I get rolling, who do I want to collaborate with, um, is my mentor helping me in the way I need them to, or do I need to find somebody else, and how's my relationships with those around me, the leaders above me, the folks below me, the people beside me, and so that, that's the leader right there. The, the simple act of walking, reflecting, and getting your things in motion to be able to make an impact. So Courtney or Casey, what is that place for you? His is his patio chair, but what does that look like in your role where, wow, that's, that's true leadership right there? I find for myself, it's kind of the same thing. It's when I'm out and I'm physically active in some way. I'm a runner. 
And so when I'm out and I'm running and I'm just listening to my own thoughts, that's typically where things start to slow down and I can move beyond maybe the day-to-day to-do list and into the big picture thinking uh, and really thinking about what is it that I need to, as a leader, what is it that my team needs from me as a leader? I would say the only downfall of that being my chair is that I'm moving and I always finish my run and think, man, I've got to have a way to write all of this stuff down. See, and mine, <laughs> mine is a little bit different because mine is in the car. I drive like 35 minutes to work and home from work, but I'm on Marco Polo pretty much the whole ride to work and the whole ride home, even if it's like I'm recording a message to myself because that's when I'm really talking through and thinking about, just like you said, like how are the people that I'm working with experiencing me? And more importantly, because I feel like sometimes as leaders, we can become a little bit um, egocentric, not in the way of of pride, but just in the way of wanting, because we want to do our best and we want to bring out the best in others, I think we can uh, unintentionally become a little bit egocentric. But I also like to sit back in just meetings or in classrooms or just at the end of the day, watching people walk by. I'll sit in the library, which is just kind of that central location and watch people pass by and that is a great time of reflecting, of reflection and seeing how people are interacting with each other. Because I think it shows what is it that they value outside of their constant list of things to complete and do is in their interactions with each other. So that's where I find my, um, my place to, to focus on how I want to be as a leader. I love Marco Polo and Voxer for that same reason, because you can collaborate with folks on the go. Marco Polo, you can see their face, it's video, and but it's still recorded. Um, and Voxer is just audio, so you can look all crazy and still <laughs> be professional at the same time. But I agree that talking it out um, is helpful. And I would love, that would be a really cool, if you're a leadership summit, to have everyone tell, you know, what is your patio chair? Where are you growing your leadership? What does it look like if it's running like Courtney or Casey, it's transportation going to and from, um, and then connecting on social media with other folks or, or different outlets and apps. I think that is really the important here is our habits because he talks about that. And the C and attack is commit to new habits. What are habits that are driving you to become a stronger leader? or become more helpful to those around you. And what habits are just part of your routine, but they're really not adding value. And I go back to that statement from the beginning, uh, his question about energy and output. You know, what is the best use of this person's energy? What is the best use of my energy to create change? And if this task I'm doing every day is not contributing to that, then it's not worth doing or not doing every day. And so finding out what are our new habits, but remember, you can't develop the new habits until you've already started taking responsibility and taking small steps and acknowledging progress. And you might think 
new habits start that whole process, but that's not how it goes because you've got to figure it out first. It's got to be messy. You've got to just get in there and figure it out. And then you say, okay, now I've got it. This is the new habit. Um, so for me, who's type A, who wants to plan it all out first and then take action, he's really pushing me to, to say, you've got to just try it a little bit to figure out what's going to stick, what is going to be your new habit. And then he ends with K, Kindle, and he relates it to the an actual Kindle where you're, it's an e-reader, but he's talking about like kindling a fire. It's slow and steady. Um, it starts off small, but you have to keep getting the oxygen in there, breathing life into it until it becomes this roaring fire. And when we think about leadership, it's the small daily actions that you take that create the impact at the end of the year, the big fire where you look back and you're like, wow, look at everything that we've been able to do together. But it's the small things each and every day that you did. You don't have to come in gangbusters and change things around to really be noticed or, you know, to really get some headway towards your goals. And when we think about kindling, what does that look like for you, Courtney or Casey? What are the small actions you're taking as leaders in your schools that's kindling the fire to really create progress? For me, it is just relationships, um, building those trusting relationships with all of my colleagues. Um, and if I'm being very vulnerable with you, I have a tendency Pride gets in the way for me because I have a tendency to want to um, come across as knowledgeable. I, it's just a, it's a downfall, but I want to come across as knowledgeable so that people trust me, but that's the wrong way to go about trust. So I'm working toward building authentic relationships that, um, support any next steps that support a vision that I cast or support people in jumping on board with something that is scary and helping them to become courageous as a leader from wherever they are in the moment. And I would just tag onto that and say kind of the same thing for me. It's so it's the relationships. I shared that I, I'm not as great with giving that acknowledgement of progress, but the heart of what I do is listen to the, the teachers, the teacher leaders and the administrators that I work with, and then truly act on that, follow through, give space for what it is they're, they're talking to help within the context of which I can. But that is such an important part for me when we talk about kind of those small steps I think listening and perspective taking is at the core of what I do. And I hope that that is, is a space that kind of creates that Kindle that he's talking about. And it's encouraging to know that we just have to get started and that we don't have to think of these really revolutionary ideas that we can just change our thoughts and then change our behavior, change our mood, change our mindset. Uh, it's tiny tweaks each and every day. I mean, we can all commit to that. That's doable. We have time for that. That's manageable in our brain um, and in our day. And, and so I like this approach. And his very last chapter is called Now What? Uh, he said, do you want to? Like, do you want to create change? Do you want to be a leader who's not afraid anymore, who is willing to really be part of the story of whatever you're trying to create in your schools and in your districts. 
But beyond do you want to, which you probably want to because you bought the book or you read the book or you're here on Clubhouse listening to us or on the replay. But the next question, are you willing? Are you willing to actually do what's required to, to make the change? Are you willing to show up differently, even if it's small changes? And I think all of us in our heart of hearts would still say yes. But then the last question is, can you please just get on with it? Like, go do the work, go try, go figure it out, get up there, fall on your butt a million times, but please just get up and try and stop waiting. Stop trying to plan it out. Stop just saying, yeah, I'm interested or yeah, I want to, or um, I'm willing to do it, but maybe next week, this week's crazy. Um, and so what I ended up doing is I grabbed a piece of paper and he prompted throughout those chapters, do you want to, are you willing, can you please just get on with it to say, what are your core values? First, before you even start thinking about, are you being the leader you want to be? What are those values? And I think I know my values, but I don't know that I've ever like written them down and stared at them and thought like, hmm, do I really value that? Or do I think I value that? And then the kicker is like, do your actions show that that's your value? Meaning if I showed this list to anyone that I work with, would they agree that I value these things? And if not, that means I'm not acting in alignment with them. And ouch, <laughs> that hurts because you're thinking, oh, this is important to me, but maybe the way that we're leading doesn't showcase that. And, you know, we're talking about relationships. One way to really bring folks in is by being who you are and what you believe in. And those values are important. And so, you know, not just create the list, but get really honest about, is this a reality that I'm operating in? And then he encourages you to find, now that you know your, your values, what area of focus do you want? Because you can't change everything and you can't change anybody else, but is there a, an area of focus? So I just picked three and a sense of community was one of them. But a consistent presence was another one of them because I think there's so much on our plates that you're trying to get it all done. And I might not go down a wing of the school for a whole week. Well, I'm not helping those people if I'm not there. So how can I be more consistent and being present when I am in school buildings was important to me. But beyond the core values, the area of focus, then he said, what is your desired future reality? Meaning if you could dream up who you want to be as a leader and where you want to work, what's that environment look like, write it down, script it out, draw it out, a bullet point it. And <laughs> I think I have like 10% of what my desired future reality is, but that's okay because I believe through these small steps that he's encouraging us to take then I'll get there. Uh, but it's important for me to visualize what it is I want because that helps me better know what are the steps. So I'll pause for a second, Courtney and Casey. What do you think about that last push from uh, Mike telling us, okay, what are you going to do? What's it going to look like? It kind of reminds me in the very beginning of this chat, Gretchen, you said, you know, we, we read the books and we read the books and then we say, oh, that was a good book. <laughs> it was a great one. I want to hold on to that information. But this is like the book that really challenges you to not just say, well, that was a good book, but to pause, to intentionally push pause 
and actually think, okay, well now what am I going to do with this? And that's almost a gut punch to me too, as is probably almost every section of this book is going to be a gut punch in some way. But just that question of now what is a gut punch in that I don't want to just sit back and let that phrase, well, that was a good book play in my head and put it back on my bookshelf. I want it to be that book that pushes me to that next level so that I can push others to their maximum potential. Um, and so when I'm thinking about what's next for me, what's next for me in this is intentionally taking each chapter of this and doing kind of what you have done is pausing and jotting down some things and using it as you are going about your day-to-day -day interactions with your colleagues. Um, and, and I think it's important too, you were mentioning just taking bite-sized pieces. Like these are micro steps to the change that we want to see, not just in ourselves, but in our organizations. And um, what's hard for me, and I know I, I've said this already as we've talked is, I can see a vision but when we're not getting there quickly enough, it tends to bring me down. Um, but I think the micro steps in this book will help me to latch on to what is progress and, uh, you know, live in a place of denial that's actually moving me and our organization forward. And for me, when I think of my next steps, he talks within the book about having some accountability partners. And it's not about catching one another, but about adopting mindsets around execution, performance, when it comes to creating those habits. And that really resonated with me is finding the, the individuals around me that we can support one another and really, truly as Casey said, not just say, gosh, that was a great book, but really put it to action because there's so much in here that stands to improve upon my leadership and help me to be more courageous. I'm so glad that we took time to talk about this because I know we are all starting to read and we're like, oh my God, this is so good. There's this and there's this and there's this and everyone's going to read it and get a different takeaway. And so I encourage you guys, if, if you're listening to this and you thought, wow, this is resonating and I really want to hear more about that one chapter, whatever, grab a book, get it on Audible, um, just read a section or chat with one of us. But this is the stuff that's going to move the needle, but we have to allow it to, which we just can't consume. We've got to set up time to really take it in and assess our reaction to it and reflect on it and then improve it. So last thoughts, Courtney and Casey, I know we've been chatting for about an hour, but I wanted to make sure we took time to, to share this great book as it applies to education in so many different ways. So today I um, was reading some posts in a, the principal's principal leadership uh, Facebook group. And someone asked, what is a leadership book that isn't necessarily related to education? And this book is one of the books that I suggested and I suggested people coming to listen to this chat, but 
I kind of think about this book as a, um, as a leadership, like a complete all in one location to find all things leadership, because it's, even though it's not a lengthy book there, it's packed with pieces that you can immediately apply and not in any particular order. Um, and that's how I feel about this book is that it's the leadership all in one guide. I would hands down agree with that. There was so much in here, but I think what kept resonating with me is he says that small changes, if you maintain them, can have a huge impact over time. So while there was so much in here to pause, reflect on so many different things to adopt into my own leadership, it never really felt overwhelming. It just felt like a guidebook. Yeah, and he's encouraging and funny and shares lots of stories that you're, you find yourself interacting or talking back to him. And as we were kind of talking before, I think Casey and maybe Courtney mentioned it too, about being willing to show what your weakness is and being transparent and feeling like, you know, I, I'm a leader, I should know it all, or I should be the most skilled and really pulling back and being like, eh, I really don't know what to do. And I'm really not great right here. And, and he shows a lot of his own scars throughout the process. And that's encourages, encourages you to be honest about like, man, maybe I'm not the best at this, or maybe I do really need to give this a shot and stop saying no when someone suggests it or that little ping in your heart says like, hello, me again, try this. Um, so I'm just really thankful for you ladies who love the same book that I do and love leadership. And uh, Courtney, I know you love to read. So <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> no, thank you. This was so great. Yeah, I'm just I'm thankful that there's a space like this to talk. And I'm so glad the replay, I'll share this on the podcast, too, because Folks don't have to read a book to really get a lot from it, too. I mean, obviously, if you do, you you put a little more effort into really maximizing what you can get out of it. But I think those like Marilyn, I don't know if you've read it, but you've hung here throughout this entire chat. And I hope you're leaving with takeaways of how you're going to focus on your leadership and how you want to grow and how you want to show up better and differently. And tomorrow, I mean, tomorrow is the perfect day to just take a step. So I'm really thankful uh, Casey, let's start with you. How can we connect with you, learn more? If we've got questions or we want to chat about the book with you, how can we reach you? Yeah, so I am on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Instagram and Facebook are my primary uh, forms of communication, except for Marco Polo, of course. And you can find me, both of my handles on all of those social media platforms are Catch Up With Casey. Um, or you can go to my website, catchingupwithkc.com, and I am currently opening registration for um, a, an upcoming ShareCast that is titled The Three Things Level Up ShareCast. It is for um, women primarily who want to go from burnout to breakthrough, who want to thrive instead of just survive, and to, who want to thrive where they're planted now so they can thrive where they're headed, even when they don't know where that is, with three specific skills. And those are vision, collaboration, and intuition, which ironically, 
so much of that is packed into Mike Staver's book that we just talked about tonight. And then for me, I really hang out a lot on Instagram. You can find me at edubookster. And then I have a website as well, theedubookster.com. I am always looking for recommendations, people to engage in book studies, and really just opportunities to share our knowledge and grow in what we're reading to better improve our practices. Oh, I loved our conversation. I love this book. I love this space for us to come together, push each other to become better leaders. And obviously women in education is really important to me. So I want to thank you guys. Hopefully those of you listening are like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to take action. I'm ready to read the book um, and replay this as often as necessary to get those little nuggets. Marilyn said, yeah, there are lots of little nuggets she got throughout this conversation. So I'm thankful for you too. All right, y'all make this the best week. And remember, just take those small actions. Okay. Go be great. Thanks. All right, elite educators. I hope you found value in that clubhouse chat. All resources mentioned will be in the show notes. Just visit www.alwaysalesson.com, click on podcast, and find this bonus episode. Wishing you an empowered school year. Go be great.